Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to us and how you listen to us. Thank you for making the sports and the world podcast part of your day. I'm the Darian. And I'm Chris. And I hope all of you are well and safe out there. And how are you, my man? I'm hanging, dude. I'm hanging, you know, just uh, doing my thing. Happy the draft is only a couple days away. And we're, we're kind of slowly getting back into football and not the USFL or the XFL or, you know, the uh, the weirdo stuff. Back to some genuine football here. Chris, taking, taking a hard stance. This is why we take hiatuses now. We might take another uh, six-week hiatus because of those comments. <laughs> but, but, you know, but, I, 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 I tried watching it, man. Like, I, I really have. Like, I've sat down and I watched a couple of those Orlando games. And Oh, man, that's – God, that, they're terrible. That, 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 I, I was going to stop you there and say, when you said Orlando team, like, look, it took me one game. And I'm like ah, – there's a reason why Orlando does, does not have a football team in general. Like this is why we have teams in Tampa and Miami and Jacksonville. Th- these are the reasons why Orlando fine city, up and coming basketball team, but football, I think the last no, person football, even, they're not even up coming. Well, well, they, they'll get there maybe in, in our lifetime. I'll put that in, in the, in the, 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 or, the Orlando tragic. The best we saw was like Nick Anderson and Penny Hardaway and, and Shaq and those guys back in the early nineties, because and, now this is, it is just God awful. But what I will say is that for transition, there's potential. Now I, I, I got turned off after the whole Dwight Howard thing. I'm like, I think he put his arm around Stan Van Gundy. I, I said, I'm out, but like, you know, who knows? We'll put it that way. And But before we get to some NFL draft coverage, let's talk about some big news regarding one of our teams. I think you can guess which team I'm J-E-T-S. referring to. This, this, this is why we slow things in. Yeah, well, buddy. Well, folks, the long national nightmare is over, and Rodgers is officially a member of the New York Jets. And I'll have my thoughts on the back end, but Chris, want to get some of your thoughts on the deal finally getting done. You know, and that's that's it. Finally, just finally, that's that's where we're at right now. Um, it took a lot to uh, to get done, and a lot of patiently waiting, and a lot of sitting in dark caves quietly waiting. You know, just just doing the whole Aaron Rodgers retreat. Um, but it's done. I feel that we gave away a little bit more than than maybe we should have. But I uh, I don't know. I think it's worth it in the grand scheme of things. If you really sit down and look at the Jets as an organization last year, I think that we were a quarterback away from the playoffs. And I've said that a couple times on social media and just kind of out and about with, uh, you know, with some with some friends that I think that in the grand scheme of things, we had a very uh, optimistic journey last season. If we had a a competent quarterback and not on the carousel of quarterbacks, I mean, we had four starting quarterbacks last season in a span of 17 uh, playable games. And I, I think that 
this could be the answer to that. I We have an amazing defense uh, that kept us in a lot of games that Zach Wilson or Mike White or Joe Flacco were, were keeping us out of. Um, and we have a talented roster with uh, Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis and all those other offensive weapons. So I think that the missing piece last season was a competent quarterback that A, could manage the game, and B, physically carry on the game. And and this is something that, you know, you and I have talked about on many, many podcasts and the difference in quarterbacks between being physically capable and and cerebrally capable is that I, you know, and we both agree that we would have we would rather have a smarter game managing quarterback than an athletic dummy. Essentially it's a difference between like nerd versus jock and in the quarterback position, I would rather have a nerdier quarterback that is intelligent and knows how to manage the game instead of a physically uh, fit specimen that can't read a defense to save his life and looks like Helen Keller out there trying to, trying to, to read a blitz package. Um, and Zach Wilson right now is a Helen Keller. I think if we were to line up the physicality between Aaron Rodgers and Zach Wilson, I think Zach Wilson will probably outperform Aaron Rodgers in everything from a 40 yard dash to uh, high jumping to bench pressing and all those things. But Aaron Rodgers knows how to manage the game better than I think any other quarterback in the NFL right now. And one of my favorite plays of Aaron Rodgers isn't even. Uh, a bootleg pass for 50 yards it's that third it's that third down and short hard count snap that he triggers defenses all around the league to bite and it, it could be third and two third and one or some type of third and short play and he's going to get you that first down without even even touching the ball because uh, because of his uh, his capability to know what the defense is going to do so i think that this is a twofold acquisition for the Jets. I think number one, I think right now you place Aaron Rodgers on the Jets. I think that we could easily have a 500 season. And I think that we make our way into the playoffs under an AFC wildcard seat. I don't think we'll win the division because I think this division is still bought and paid for by the Buffalo Bills uh, and, and and the way that they play. Um, you know, a lot of people are talking about Miami right now being the, the, the new hotness, but it's Miami. So Miami will always do Miami things. Uh, and then the Patriots, you know, they're kind of like the forgotten, you know, like everyone used to know the Patriots, but now it's like, oh yeah, they are in the AFC East, but they're, they're quiet, but you know, Bill Belichick will find a way to do Bill Belichick things there. Um, but you know, I'm not going to say that the, the jets are going to win the super bowl. I'm not going to say that they're going to win the, the, the AFC East. I think that they will at least make it into the playoffs. They will do better than they did last year. And I think that's the immediate solution that the Jets organization wanted is they wanted a fair shot into the playoffs because I think once you make it into the playoffs, anything goes from there. And I think the Cincinnati Bengals prove that. And then I also think the Dallas Cowboys prove that. Um, you know, so I, I definitely think that there's opportunity. Now, the second fold of this is the mentorship that Aaron Rodgers can now provide a, a Zach, a young misguided Zach Wilson. 
Um, I think that now you have uh, Robert Sala as a coach that can, can develop a quarterback. He now has a mentoring senior quarterback who's actually still physically capable of playing. I mean, no disrespect to Joe Flacco. The dude did win a Super Bowl in Baltimore. I will never take that away from him. But if you look at the Joe Flacco that the Jets have, I think Aaron Rodgers still is a, a more competent quarterback at the end of the day. So I think in this in the second fold of this uh, of this trade is that even if the the Jets organization can get two years out of uh, out of the organization for uh, for Aaron Rodgers, that that's two years that Zach Wilson can sit and learn and and educate himself on the game. Now he'll still have the physicality of a young NFL player in his early 20s, but now the intelligence level of possibly an Aaron Rodgers. And I think between the two of those, that could be a very lethal combination for the Jets. And again, I'm not saying that he's going to be a dynasty quarterback or he's going to be some some hot shot stud. But I think with just a little bit of knowledge, I think that Zach Wilson, if he could have better decision making, and learn a thing or two from Aaron Rodgers with his physical capabilities. We know that that Zach Wilson can run. I think you and I can agree on that. I think that you and I can agree that Zach Wilson can throw the ball and then he can throw and run at the same time. And he showed us glimmers. And I, and I know that you're not a, a Jets fan, but I think even just as a football fan in general, we can agree that Zach Wilson showed us he has what it takes to be successful in the NFL. It's just his consistency sucks and his education factor of the sport sucks itself. And I think that's where Aaron Rodgers can plug the hole here. Do I think they're going to win the Super Bowl? Absolutely not. But if they, if they do, though, I swear on God, Korean Jesus, and any other figurehead that I will be doing fucking cartwheels through the streets. I promise you that. Well... <clears throat> Well, what I will say that you know we we kind of live near each other, so I hope I hope I don't see you on the news. But so, <laughs> do you know this guy? Ah, that's a tough question. But um, going back to your point, I I'm, I'm gonna kind of work backwards here and work forward to your point about the trade in general. The Packers, it, it does it it kind of in a way does kind of feel the Packers won the trade for this reason. A, you got rid of Aaron Rodgers, which penultimately that was hanging over the organization, and now Jordan Love's going to be their friend, and we'll see how he works out. And I think the reason why the trade worked out the Jets, that didn't work out the Jets' favor the way it did, is essentially because of Joe Douglas, the general manager, is when you essentially tell a crowd of people, hey, a deal is done, and when there was no deal done at the time of those comments. So Green Bay, Green Bay always had – the upper hand in the situation. And people are like, oh, well, the Jets, because in essence, you know, not saying this would have been a situation, but Green Bay could have said, you know, we'll just hold on to Aaron Rodgers and he can sit and we'll eat the money and whatever. So in a way, the Jets kind of had to, they didn't, they didn't get fleeced in the trade whatsoever. They swapped first round picks this year. But I think when we look at the Jets with Aaron Rodgers, I think the one of the biggest benefactors is going to be Garrett Wilson, who, by the way, was the rookie of the year, and he was playing with four quarterbacks last year. So Garrett Wilson, he Aaron Rodgers has a better core of receivers than he did in Green Bay, which I think was one of the issues that he had since when Devontae Adams left and went to the Raiders. And then when Alan Lazard, he joins him there for the Jets. 
But I think, Chris, when we look at this from a short-term to long-term situation, I think the Jets have this window where they could be really great. And to your point, in the AFC East, the question becomes, how good are they? Do I think, you know, in a 17-game season, they can win 9-10 games? I think you and I can agree on that. I think they can win 9-10 games in that division. Oh, easily, yeah. Yeah, I, I so – to me, the issue is not the wins or, you know, even I, I think they're a playoff team because I do felt that they were a quarterback away. But to me, I look at it from this, and you mentioned Zach Wilson. And to me, that to me is the long-term thing. Is is that Zach Wilson in reality, Chris, still has to be the long-term answer because they the reason why this trade gets done, people are, why would you go for – a 38-year-old quarterback, 38, 39-year-old quarterback, and not go for a guy like Lamar Jackson. And, and Chris, to me, the answer is simple. Because they still believe in Zach Wilson. Because they they know that Aaron Rodgers is there probably maybe two seasons. Maybe. Because he's Aaron Rodgers. So he'll be 40, 40, 41. So at that point, he would probably be done you know, so and then so Zach Wilson is still there. Lamar is more of a long-term answer, and I address that because because it's amazing how many people are like, oh well, why did they go after Lamar? Well, look, the Jets need a short-term answer, and they're still banking on Zach Wilson to be the long-term answer. Because you, Chris, when you invest a second overall pick, especially with a quarterback, Chris. You're not just going to give up on them in two weeks. It's just like a relationship. You're not, not going to break up with somebody you, you've been with for, you know, four or five years unless it's like if it really just doesn't work at all. Like, okay, like we, we, we can't do anything. That's the commitment that organizations have with quarterbacks. They expect to draft in the first round, more, more specifically, the top five of the first one, which we're going to talk about in a second. So – Overall, Chris, I just kind of feel I'm in this camp. The question for Jet for the pressure is on Robert Sala. The pressure is on, excuse me, Nathaniel Hackett, who's the off, Rogers' offensive coordinator once again. There's pressure on this organization to win, Chris. And to your point, people have to be realistic. This is not a Super Bowl team. Not a Super Bowl team. But if you put it like I always say, it's just like March Madness. You never know. You put them in the dance, and you mentioned Cincinnati. Who had Cincinnati going to the Super Bowl? I didn't. You didn't. Just give a team a chance, and you have Aaron Rodgers has a chance to you know overcome some demons on the field. Like, can he get back to the big one? We're gonna find out in the next probably two years, Chris, if that's the answer. Speaking of answers, there are a lot of teams. Coming up in Thursday draft, Chris, that needs some answers. A lot of key positions, more specifically at quarterback. So what we've done here is that you and I had did our top 10, our top 10 uh, uh, list here, you know, David Letterman type style. Uh, but except we're going to do 1 to 10. We're not going to do 10 to 1. At least I don't hope so. Yeah, that, that just wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I want that's why I had to clear up for the, for the people. So, and I think you know. And for the record, I want to say this: we don't know each other's lists. We don't know each. We don't know each other's 
draft board. Yeah, we have not discussed this at at all. We we decided to you know to cover the show topics. And in our pre-show conversation, it was the typical what's up, you know, type thing. Uh, highlighted, okay, we're going to cover this segment, segue into this, and then wrap up with this. Yeah. Uh, and then we hit go, and uh, here we are. Yeah, so I, I make it clear that we discussed the idea of doing a top 10, but we don't know our boards. We don't know the players. There's a good chance we're going to have a lot of the same players but maybe not in the same position. So with that being said, the Carolina Panthers, who made a big jump to get the number one overall pick from the Chicago Bears, are on the clock. And so I'll have you start. And, Chris, who do you have Carolina taking with the number one overall pick? So as we discussed, Carolina made a a huge trade to get to the first overall pick. Um, so I think that first overall pick comes with uh, we're going to go Uncle Ben with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, so I think on this pick, Carolina is going to go to a quarterback that can kind of fit the system that they're rebuilding right now. And that is Bryce Young out of Alabama. Uh, Bryce Young put up some great stats, uh, you know, for the Crimson Tide. Um, you know, he didn't participate in the uh, uh, in the combine, which I found, you know, kind of intriguing and interesting. So you really, it's almost like you're just gambling. And you really don't know what you're getting, but you did see him perform in Alabama, and we know that Nick Saban can put out some athletes, and he's had so so many people. Uh, come out of that Alabama organization as a first-round draft pick that have been successful in the NFL. So I, I think that we're going to expect to see the same situation that we did uh, beforehand <clears throat> with with Alabama players. And I think that uh, uh, Bryce Young is going to be the new face of the Carolina organization. Uh, as we know, they are in a massive rebuild and restructuring program. Uh, you know, this season they traded away Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore, two of their uh, elite, uh, probably the two best players they've had in that organization in a long time. Uh, you know, they got they got rid of both of them and started to create, um, you know, this rebuild benefactor. So I think that uh, they're going to invest this first overall pick with a quarterback and then build around him. Yeah, and you know, I I also have Bryce Young going to Carolina and. I won't say too much because you covered a lot of the, a good a lot of solid points. What I will say is that Bryce Young is the one guy who I feel is safe, and I don't mean safe as in he's average, Chris. I mean safe is that I kind of know what I'm going to get. If that makes any sense, I know what I'm going to get yep. out of Bryce Young. I know the skill set and what Frank Wright, who's a quarterback guy, so. I'm going to be curious to see how he – because it, it, I think he fits. And a lot of people say there's another player, but the reality is I think if you're Carolina, you know, this is – you got to get a quarterback for the second time in your franchise, the number one overall pick. And it kind of worked out the first time with Cam Newton overall. It kind of – it worked out. It worked out. You got an MVP. You went to a Super Bowl. So I think Carolina goes quarterback – here once again, I think Bryce Young to me is the best quarterback in this class. 
with a little bit of a gap more than what people think it is. So I also have Bryce Young going there. And now we go, we head we head south and we head to the, the great state of Texas. Houston Texans on the clock, second overall pick. And I guess since you started out, I'll, I'll start this time. Well, I guess we'll just we'll just alternate in okay. terms of that. So to, to keep it to keep it spicy. Spicy like a meatballs. So a spicy a meatballs. All right, sorry. You see, folks, he did it. I did. So let it let it be known on the record in, in podcast notes that it was not me. So here we are. Houston has a lot of options here, Chris. Houston can go quarterback, they can go deep, they can go best player on the board, or they can trade down from this pick, which has been out there. You know, things get thrown out the last like 24, 48, 72 hours ahead of a draft. But I think Houston with two first round picks makes a difference here. It makes a difference here. And so they don't have to feel the need to get the player that they think they need if they feel they can get him later because they can always trade down. So with that being said, I think they go defense. And to me, they go with the best edge player in this draft with Will Anderson Jr. And simply put, D'Amico Ryan is a defensive guy. Go look at those 49er defenses. Go look at go look at Boza. Go look at Nick Boza. I tell people, just pop in the tape and watch that. Because Will Anderson could be a – Nick Bosa type player under D'Amico runs with the same system ran in San Francisco. And I think Houston understands that, well, when we need a quarterback, you have a, like uh, Chris, like I say, they have the 12th overall pick in this draft. And I do believe a quarterback, maybe two will fall in this draft. So they're not going to feel the pressure, I think. And they can always worst case scenario, Chris, they can always trade up because they have another first round pick in my opinion. So I got Will Anderson Jr., the edge player from the University of Alabama. So who do you have the the Texas taking at number two? So I actually have this pick going north and not staying in Texas. I have Houston trading the second overall pick to the Detroit Lions. And in this pick, they're going to swap, and then Houston will receive the sixth overall pick in the first round. Um, Mm -hmm. So Houston's just jumping up a few stations. And I think that Houston, or excuse me, Detroit is going to make a bold move to prepare for the future. And that is going to be by getting a new quarterback, and that new quarterback being CJ Stroud out of Ohio State. Um, I think that by doing this, um, I think that Detroit Detroit is in a similar situation like what uh, the New York Jets are. They're a quarterback away from the playoffs. And as as good as Jared, uh, Jared Goff was this year or this past season, I don't know if he could continue that, uh, uh, you know, that that kind of stretch. And I mean, like, and the crazy thing is, is that, you know, you look at his, uh, his stats and I mean, the dudes had multiple 4,000 plus yard passing seasons. I mean, and that's, and that, I think that's an accomplishment in itself right there. 
Um, you know, I mean, even last year, and, and I know I sound crazy with this pick, but I, I think that this is going to be a, a multi-stage and a multi-fold thing here with Detroit. You know, last year, Jared Goff threw for a little over 4,400 yards with a rating of 99.3. That's not bad for, for NFL starting quarterback standards. I think that they're preparing for the future. They know they only got a couple decent years left for Goff. He's 28 years old. Usually at like that 30 mark is when quarterbacks really start taking the nosedive, uh, except you have your few, like your Aaron Rodgers, your Tom Brady's, your Ben Roethlisberger's, those types. But I think they they grab C.J. Stroud and they put him on the bench to learn. Um, as good as C.J. Stroud looks on paper and as good as he looks on film playing against a bunch of scrub uh, Big Ten teams, and we know how I feel about Big Ten and Ohio State quarterbacks and stats and facts and logic um, prove those things time and again because when you stack them up against good programs, they typically lose. But uh, before I go on some Ohio State tangent, uh, I'll, I'll circle back to Stroud going to Detroit. I think they trade up and grab him for the future. I think that they they grab him, put him on the bench, let him sit under Jared Goff for a couple years, learn the game, and then now they are able to get rid of Goff and turn him into a senior journeyman quarterback, trade him off for a one- or two-year deal for a couple, few million dollars, make some money, get a draft pick, and then reinvest that draft pick into what they need at that point in time in the season. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, what what I will say is interesting. I don't think – it. I, and, and the thing is, Detroit does have a – just like with Houston, they do have a second first-round pick. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out there. Now, moving down the board, we're going to we're going to go to Arizona – with the third pick in this draft. And Chris, who do you see the Arizona Cardinals taking with this pick? So the Arizona Cardinals, I think, are going to pick uh, for their third overall pick um, a sledgehammer to smash up uh, yeah, what's-his-face's Xbox, their quarterback there, Kyler Murray, because every time Call of Duty comes out, his stats go right down the tubes, and that's actually proven. Uh, so I think they're going <laughs> to – as much as they would like to draft a sledgehammer, I think they will draft a sledgehammer, though. And that sledgehammer is going to be on defense by the name of Jalen Carter, defensive tackle from the University of Georgia. Uh, you look at Jalen Carter's tape, you look at his stats, and, you know, uh, to play defense in the SEC is – it's hard. I mean, there's just a lot of good players and. There's just a lot of, of talent in the SEC. And you look at the stats that, that Jalen Carter put up in the combine. You know, if, if you sit back and you look at even uh, Jalen Carter's, uh, when he was in, and, you know, he went to school in Florida uh, for high school. He played for Apopka High School. The kid was a standout in the Orlando football market, um, you know, went to Georgia and definitely, I think, was a standout uh, there. Uh, I, I think, you know, he's 6'3", 300 pounds. I mean, he is an anchor point of a defensive line. And I think that's Arizona. I think one of the bigger focal points this season needs to be on building that defense. They have a, a fairly decent offense. Again, they're not going to win, you know, uh, uh, a plus 500 season. They're not going to go to the playoffs. But I think if they play their cards right and rebuild that defense, I think that that could be in their future. 
Uh, you, that's interesting. I I like Jalen Carter. I've I've written I've written about Jalen Carter, so um, yeah, I think that's a, a, a very sound pick. Now at number three, now you pulled off a a very sexy trade. At number two, I think there's going to be a trade at number three. I think Arizona is going to send this pick a little bit up north. They're going to send it to Vegas. And Vegas there, and I think Vegas is going, and this is based on everything that I've read, how I feel, think, all of that. Just pure instinct here. I think they also go for a quarterback. But I think it's the biggest wild card in this draft, and it's Anthony Richardson. And here's why. A A lot of things line me up for this reason. A, we look at Jimmy Garoppolo's deal. Jimmy Garoppolo is not the long-term answer for the Raiders, given the structure of his contract. And when you look at the Raiders, the Raiders understand the same concept as most teams do. Like, Chris, they're not – forget Super Bowl, Chris. They're not even a playoff team. They're rebuilding. So they understand that they could go offensive line. They could go deep. They could go anywhere on the board they want, and it wouldn't be a terrible pick. But why not think of the future now? To your point that you alluded to of why the Lions would make the move, I kind of feel that the Raiders understand, and the way Josh McDaniels is, I think that they really love Anthony Richardson, and they're trying to leapfrog a team who they think, which I'll allude to when we get to that pick, who they think may be slightly interested in him if he's still on the board. But I think the Raiders front office jumps. They go, you know what? We got we're at number seven. We can move up to three. And I think they get Anthony Richardson. To me, the biggest wild card, but I think, and I feel this, Chris, he doesn't have to start. I think if we get the Anthony Richardson, and we both seen it, we're both Gators fans. We both watched plenty of Gators games. I feel that if you get the Anthony Richardson that can make those big plays. They sky's the limit, but you take the risk. And we talk about his completion percentage. People say, Oh, they compare him to Cam Newton. Cam Newton statistically had a better police percentage at a, coming out of Auburn than Anthony Richardson did, and it's not even close. It's by over 10 percentage points. So, but Anthony Richardson is a project. So, why not, Chris? You can sit him, you don't have to play him. The Raiders are in no position to win right now. Let him sit under Jimmy Garoppolo two years, maybe three, and you could have something very special there in Vegas. So that's who I have. I have the Raiders trading up, swapping with the Cardinals to get Anthony Richardson. So I don't know if that's sexier than your pick, but I I do what I can. For yeah, that. no, no, that's that's uh, you know, and, and from from the words of Dodgeball, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's a, that's a logical move. Um, I, I got uh, you know the Raiders going a different way, and we'll, and we'll cover them when I have them. But I mean that that's that is an intelligent move, and that is a a a good move for the organization. Um, for right now and for later, like I said, I, um, I I got them going a different way, but yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a sexy little trade up there. I like it. 
We're all, all about bringing at Justin Timberlake. We're all about bringing sexy back, not about taking it away. We're, we're about bringing it back to the people and putting it back, back out through the through the airwaves. So now, here we are, number four, with the with the Colts. Who I know I won the last. I think one of the last episodes we had before we went on hiatus. I went off on a rant about Jim Irsay. I promised myself. I promised my doctor I'm not going to do it again because he saw some numbers he didn't like. So we're not going to do that. For the sake of, for me particularly having children down the road and for my health, we're not going to do that again. Because we know how I feel about the Colts organization. Post Andrew Luck. It's been cheeks. I'll leave it there. You all you all can fill in the blanks. But here we are, Chris. Number four. Where do you see where do you see Indianapolis going here with the fourth pick here? Well, all right, so the fourth pick on my end, I have Indianapolis going quarterback because the carousel is forever turning. And I have them going with Will Levis, quarterback from University of Kentucky. Um, I think that uh it's a I don't want to call it a safer pick, but I, I, I'm going to call it a safer pick. I think that uh, Levis, he has a little bit more consistency than, than Anthony Richardson does. Um, and I got Anthony Richardson in another part of our draft. But I, I think with this, and this is just an unfortunate situation for Levis, is he's going to be drafted and immediately have to start. Um, I, I, I don't see any other way around this. I think that Indianapolis is going to put a bandage on something that needs stitches and staples. Um, but I think that with this, they need to address the situation now. And, and, and I'm not taking anything away from Will Levis. He had a very solid career at Kentucky. Um, and, and I think he really started showing out his senior year uh at Kentucky uh, you know and again to be a successful SEC quarterback you have to be able to run you have to be able to throw and you have to be able to read a defense because unlike other college uh divisions cough cough big 10 cough uh we actually believe in defense and all of our teams are good except for like one so you're playing constant talent so you don't have the 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 luster and the pomp and circumstance that Big Ten quarterbacks get to have when they play the University of uh, Columbus Community College or whatever other garbage organizations there are in the Big Ten. Um, but, you know, Levis really proved himself against the LSUs, the Bamas, the Floridas, the Auburns, uh, you know, and, and I think he did well. I think that he is going to be in an uproad battle with the the Colts as an organization. Um you know, Ladarius perfectly described it uh, with almost having an aneurysm and a heart attack and a and a brain aneurysm all at once. Uh, with his with his rant on uh, on the Colts, you know, uh, last season, and I think that they are still in a situation where they need more. But I think that they'll they'll take Will Levis, they'll run with him, and I think that the, they could do something with him in a couple years when they get him more talent. He needs protection. He needs uh, a defense, and he needs some receivers to throw to. So I know I'm asking for a lot here, but help the poor kid out, guys. Yeah, and and, and simply put, before I go, before we move to number five, before we move on with my pick, I, I 
any uh, to be clear, any it's going to be a quarterback here for Indianapolis. It's going to be a quarterback. Like, let's not fool ourselves. Because once again, I, I I'm not going to go down the road again. But you know, Chris has Will Levis, and I, I think Indianapolis takes C.J. Stroud here. Oh, and and the thing is, to your point. You know, there's some validity when we talk about the quarterback position and we talk about playing the position from the neck up. And this is not to say that Will Levis is not a neck up guy. That's not that's not the I don't want people to say, oh, the nerds you don't like. No, I've, I've, I've watched Will Levis. He's in the SEC. You know, I've watched him play. But when I look at when you're trying to figure out who's there and if the Colts this is a pick where if C.J. Stroud is gone, like on your board, if C.J. Stroud is gone ahead of him, you know, if he goes to Houston or if he goes anywhere, if he, if he goes, if he's gone, if he's off the board, then you look at Levis as the next best option because still some people still are not confident about Anthony Richardson. But I think with C.J. Stroud here, Chris, you're getting a guy, you're getting – you're getting leadership. You're getting a guy that you can build an offense around. And I think a lot of teams who are not successful, they try to make a quarterback fit into a system that they can't, and they fail. Because to me, coaching, just like at any facet of life, it's about flexibility. It's about, you know, rolling like Ariel Speedwagon song is, you got to roll with the changes. Okay? That's what, to me, that's what keeps coaches like, Bill Belichick has lasted this long because he may be rigid to, to us, but he notice how he started using five wide receiver sets. Notice how he tried to accommodate the quarterback in his system. That's because of flexibility. And then I think if you're the Colts and you're C.J. Stroud, you build around this guy, whether you get Levis or Stroud, build around him. You have Michael Pittman there. You got Eric Ebron there. Like, you have pieces there, Chris, that you have something nice. And it's the AFC South, and everybody outside of Jacksonville is, is you know, triple cheeks, okay? So, and that includes, and, 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 and that includes the Titans, because let's face it, if they get rid of Tannehill and Henry, what are you left with? Because the reality is, that division could, you know, it could be the Jacksonville for the next decade, but who's going to be the second best team in that division? That is going to be either Indianapolis or it's going to be Houston. Tennessee, we'll, we'll see. But getting Stroud there is the perfect way to kind of push that and accelerate the process. So now here we are halfway through. We're number five. Seattle's on the clock on my board. And this is where. And this is why I lost Vegas leapfrog to number three, because I feel, Chris, that if Anthony Richardson would have still been on the board here, Pete Carroll might have taken him. I think because, once again, things that I've read, things that I felt, because, listen, and once again, it's not a knock on Geno. Like, when we talk about certain teams, like, we're not saying that, oh, you know, oh, they're terrible. No, Geno is not the long-term answer there. Gino is Gino's not the long term based on the contract he was given. He's not the long term answer there. So kind of like to your point that you kind of talked about 
with Jared Goff, you can kind of do the same thing with Geno Smith, is where you have him sit behind and learn. But this is why, but this is why the Raiders traded up the way that they did because they feared that Pete Carroll would take him because Pete Carroll's like, well, you know, I'm not going to be here the next three years, but it's going to be the next guy's quarterback. So that being said, I think he goes defense. He goes Pete Carroll, rebuilds this defense that still needs to re- be rebuilt. I think he goes with the second best edge player in the draft, and that's Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech. Now, a lot of people haven't watched Texas Tech play. To be, I don't know if people in the state of Texas has watched Texas Tech play last season. I don't. I can't confirm or deny that. But Tyree Wilson is a guy who can get to the quarterback. He's a guy that can create pressure on the edge. And I think Seattle's trying to rebuild that defense to the, to a level to compete. Now, once again, they, they may not win the division, but they could make the playoffs again. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. But I think they go safe and they go defense. I think it's going to be a defensive pick, whether it's edge, corner, or interior lineman. But I think they go Tyree Wilson, edge player out of Seattle. So, Chris, who do you have? The Seattle Seahawks taking here at number five. So at number five, we're going to circle back to where you started at the beginning of this conversation, and that's Pete Carroll going quarterback. Uh, I think at number five, he he's rolling the dice, and he goes after Anthony Richardson. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this pick I had tossed around. I had Anthony Richardson – going to to Indy and and I think that people know this is probably one of the more important picks of the draft mainly for us because of him being Florida and just kind of how this is going to end up uh I I had him going to Atlanta I had him going to Vegas I had him going to Detroit I mean this is the pick that I'm gonna I'm gonna set on and that's and that's Pete Carroll picking up Anthony Richardson and sitting him behind Geno Smith. So I mean, you you look at Geno Smith's contract. Number one, the dude's getting paid. Um, number one, uh, you know that is just some buku bucks right there he's making. Number two, so he's signing a three-year uh, deal. So that's three years that Anthony Richardson can sit behind Geno Smith and and get himself better educated on the game of football with a an amazing coach of Pete Carroll. I, I think that unanimously he, he's going to go down as one of the better coaches in NFL history. Um, you know, so he's going to have the ability to be developed and not be thrown into a position where he's going to immediately be like a Will Levis and have to start right out of the gate or CJ Shroud if it goes your way and, and uh, Indy picks him up, you know, I think that he gets to sit behind Geno Smith. He gets to learn the playbook. He gets to learn the organization of Seattle. And I, you know, and then, you know, the benefit of that is, is that now that Seattle has a gadget player that they can throw into the mix and, and maybe they develop a couple plays to run and specifically for Anthony Richardson with a DK Metcalf or, you know, just just something crazy, and 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 I think this benefits uh, uh, Anthony Richardson because he's not going to have to start. If if Anthony goes, Anthony Richardson goes to an organization like the Colts, uh, like the 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 Las Vegas Raiders, or the Atlanta Falcons, or something like, and he has to start as a quarterback, 
He is set to fail at the end of the day. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, so I think this is a safe pick for the Seahawks. I know we talked about them building in the uh, in the draft defensively, and they will. But I think this pick, they're going to look for that long-term investment to secure that quarterback position. To because I think that's something that they failed with uh, with with Russell Wilson is they really didn't have a plan for Russell Wilson departure. And then everything happened in the offseason, and he went down to Broncos country. Let's ride. Uh, he thought I was going to let that one go. No, sir. Yeah. Uh, you know, so they had Geno Smith, and then they're like, ah, shit, you know, and uh, I don't know if this is going to work. And then Geno shocks the world and, and made it work. And it's like he said that the, on the interview, like, nobody respected me. I don't have to respect nobody. You know, and and he showed he quietly showed that he could be a starting quarterback and be a successful starting quarterback. And let's face it, the division that the Seahawks play isn't the easiest to play in. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I think he did well, and I think that Anthony Richardson will do well uh, as a backup and and to learn the playbook. Yeah, and and to your point, and and I think we were kind of on the semi same page. I think we just we went two different routes, but we were kind of like on the same road where I would not be shocked if Anthony Richard was still on the board that they would take him because based on what I've, you know, what I've written, what I've, especially what I've researched on it. I'm like, there are certain elements that just kind of fit. If that makes it, it, it kind of fits where Pete Carroll, it feels like that type of coach where he, he rolls the dice because and he has nothing to lose because he's, he's already has a Super Bowl. He's to your point, one of the better coaches of the last, you know, 20 years or so. He has nothing to prove. So why not roll the dice on Anthony Richardson? Arguably the biggest gamble in this draft in terms of skill. Not off the field stuff, but just skill. And like I say, you're, you're going to see a lot more teams be in the market because, Chris, go look at the contracts These some of these quarterbacks have gotten. Like there's a reason why Tennessee put Ryan Tannehill up to be traded. Like there's there's reasons where they're like, well, it's it's just they they you don't if if, if the money's not worth it, Chris, you got to get rid of it. And so if you're but if you're Geno Smith in Seattle, why not take a chance on Anthony? Why not because you you paid him, and Geno he Geno could lead this team to the playoffs every single season he's there, and that's just more experience that Anthony Richards will, will have stepping into that role. Should he still be there? That's the way I think exactly it looks at. So, I don't to me, there's no downside because the most like there's like a downside, but to me, I don't see a downside here. So, now here we are at number six, and, and I'm curious to see who you have, Chris, because if my, my notes are correct, because I've, I've learned to read my own handwriting better. Excellent, excellent. I do, I do what I can. You you had the Texans here because of the trade you made yep. with Detroit. So now, who do you have D'Amico Ryan's and the Texans taking with that sixth overall pick? So uh, with the sixth overall pick, we discussed that Houston is going to trade down and Detroit will trade up. So on the benefactor, Houston is giving the second overall pick to Detroit, and I had C.J. Stroud being picked up by Detroit. And then with the sixth overall pick uh, that Detroit had giving Houston in exchange, 
I have Houston going in a different direction than what you have them going in. Um, so we discussed that pretty much everybody but the uh, Jaguars in that division, I think you said they are triple cheeks, not just single cheeks or double cheeks, but they are triple cheeks, if, if memory serves me right. Uh, I feel like, um, like an inkling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I think that I, – I, I think the Texans know that. I think the Texans know that they're they're trash. I think the Texans know that their focal point of the offense is Damian Pierce. And they're just going to hand him the rock and just the dude's just going to go bowling ball like the juggernaut from X-Men through people. I don't think they go quarterback. I think they go on the other side of the ball that stops the other quarterback from putting an obscene amount of points on the board. And I think Houston gets that edge player with Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech. I think that um, – the 14 people that watch Texas Tech football in the state of Texas will now be 14 new fans of the Houston Texans. Um, so they're going to go from one one side of the state to the other for football because uh, where Texas Tech is is out in the middle of nowhere. I've been to their stadium. Um, it, it is it is a stretch to get out there. Uh, and then at least with the Texans, it's in downtown Houston. You might get shot, stabbed, mugged, murdered, raped, or anything above that. But, I mean – it's Houston. Uh, <laughs> the head, the head shaking on this is, is my favorite part. Oh, when I when I say these obscene things, um, but they're they're true at least. I mean, they're factual. They're they're mean and upsetting, but they're factual. But I think that with uh, with Houston, they go after Tyree Wilson to get that edge block, edge rush, edge maneuverability that that Wilson showed he had at Texas Tech, and I think that the Houston Texans will benefit from that immediately instead of trying to go after an offensive position of a quarterback that they don't have an offensive line to protect. And they really don't have a lot of receivers to throw to. Um, so I think that this is just an overall better option for Houston. Yeah. And, and once again, you know, once again, you know, we're on the same page. We're just pick off with Wilson. Uh, I, I, here's the thing. I think, I, I think I talked about this when Houston had, you know, when I had Houston take Will Anderson, I don't feel that if, if, a, if like I say, they have the 12th overall pick in this draft. So if they want to get a quarterback, they could, or they could wait and potentially get a guy where, you know, if they wanted to, that's the key. If they want to trade up and be like, whoever's falling at that point or somebody new, it can, or a la, you know, what the Ravens did to get Lamar Jackson trade back into the first round, you could do that. But I don't think, and to your point, this team is kind of being built around Damian Pierce and the run game. You just need a quarterback who you get time. Like, I don't know if it's going to be Davis Mills or not, but I think going defense, once again, D'Amico Ryan's, it makes sense. So I, I kind of like the pick. Now, I have Detroit staying at number six. And I think Detroit simply goes defense here. I think they go cornerback Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon. Christian Gonzalez, to me, is the best corner in this draft. And you look at this deep once again. This the Lions' defense was cheeks. All right, I'm not saying it. The numbers should tell you that they were cheeks, because for every 40 points they scored in a game, they gave up 41. Just using a, a rough analogy, they couldn't stop anybody. And in case you're wondering, in football, you have to score more points than the other team to win. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, I, I feel that's imperative to, to note. 
So Detroit was not a terrible football team. They just couldn't stop anybody. If they would have had stopped three, if they had three games worth of great defensive stops, they could have won the NFC North. But I think that starts with corner. And plus they traded uh, a first-round corner that they had a few years ago, and Jeff Okuda, they traded him to the Falcons. So there's a need there to kind of build up that secondary and get a guy in Christian Gonzalez who played in the Pac-12, who Chris, like, listen, playing good receivers. Like, the Pac-12 has come out with some of the better receivers in the country. So Christian Gonzalez is the kind of guy who pressed man-to-man. I think he fits what Dan Campbell needs to do. And for Detroit to have to be any sort of a playoff team or be in contention, they got to get that defense in order in some capacity. That being said, we go from the number after six to number seven, where on my board is different from your board, I believe. So here is the pick where the Las Vegas Raiders are on your board, but on my board is the Arizona Cardinals. So to me, Chris, Arizona's going to go defense. I think you mentioned some very solid points early on about Kyler Murray. The, the whole Xbox thing—that's that—that's all you. I'll let you, I'll let you sign off on that. But I think they go defense, and they and I think this is where Jalen Carter goes. And I think Jalen Carter falls in this draft because of off the field stuff. And sometimes, Chris, we see this a lot. We see players fall for whatever reason, like. Like you're got like now the newest member of the Jets, Aaron Rodgers just fell to 24. When in that draft he's supposed to, you know, had him going number one overall in that 2007, 2008 draft. So people just fall for any reason, Chris. I think Jalen Carter's fall is going to be not as steep because sometimes hope. I think the way it's being addressed, I think it gets him to this point that someone to take him. Now, he could easily fall out of the top 10, but I think you got to go, if you're Arizona, get to get the best player at on the board. Like for Detroit, Detroit doesn't necessarily need to get in a, a defensive line because of Aiden Hutchinson. There's potential there. But Arizona needs help there. Get Jalen Carter at seven. He's going to have a nice career. Everybody on that Georgia defense is going to have a job in the NFL. So, Jalen Carter, probably the better interior defensive defensive lineman in this draft, and I have Arizona rebuilding that line with Jalen Carter at number seven. And and Chris, who do you have the Las Vegas Raiders taking at number seven? So yeah, so we discussed that I, I got the Raiders keeping this uh, pick, and I think that they go defense on this one. I think that them going after a quarterback right now after them signing Jimmy G. I don't think is a um, I don't think it's something they do. I think they got their eyes on next year's draft for for quarterback. So I think they go on the defensive side of the ball where they also desperately need um, some some action. I think they go after someone that you mentioned with Christian Gonzalez, cornerback from Oregon. Um, I think that uh, and the problem is, is if you sit down and you look at the organization, or the the division that that he plays in uh if you know getting drafted into uh uh into the raiders organization 
you start kind of looking around, you start seeing, you know, some of the people that they have to play against. And you've got Patrick Mahomes, you've got Justin Herbert, and now a Sean Payton coached Denver Broncos that could maybe revitalize uh, uh, Russell Wilson out of subway commercials to back the touchdowns. Um, I think they desperately need to uh, to improve on the on the defensive side of the ball. And what a better way to start freezing up quarterbacks than to get a physically aggressive ball hawk like Christian Gonzalez was uh, in college. And I think that that will be a stepping stone in the right direction for the Raiders. You know, I like that. And like I said, I, I think we're, we're going one off with our picks now. It's getting a little scary. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little scared. But I think to your point about the Raiders, I think they do – I think if they if they go deep – like I said earlier, Chris, you, I, I think they can't go wrong here with whoever they take here. But Chris Gonzalez, best quarter in the draft, completely fine by me. So now we go from that number after seven to number eight where, with the Atlanta Falcons here. And we shift – Hey, you, Chris, who do you have the Dirty Birds taking with the eighth overall pick? And I will be so the eighth of... <laughs> So the eighth overall pick, there's a lot of holes in Atlanta uh, right now. Atlanta is uh, Swiss cheese. Um, there's just a lot of holes, a lot of gaping holes that uh, that need to be filled. And I think that for them to try to fill uh, – those holes offensively right now, I think will cause more problems than anything. So I think they need to go to the other side of the ball. And I think that they need to fill holes defensively. And I think that's where they go to uh, a, something that they lack. And that is the edge. And they go after uh, Will Rob- or Will Anderson Jr. out of Alabama. Dude, 6'4", 253 pounds. And, you know, the good thing is, is that they didn't always use him uh, as a pass rusher. You know, the, Alabama ha- kind of has this this four-eye formation uh, that he could set back and possibly go into short coverage to maybe uh, maybe pick a tight end or, or maybe someone running a, a, a slant or anything like that. But then they can also send him full bore into uh, the backfield to try to assassinate a quarterback. And I think he he proved that he can do both of those things very well. <clears throat> I think that um, this could be a very positive turn on the up and up for the Falcons. And I think this is something that they desperately need. If you looked at the Falcons last year, um, I mean, they are a mess. And I'm not just saying that to be funny. Uh, and, and I think you can even agree with that. They showed glimmers of hope. But they were a mess. And the one thing that we have harped on for years with the Falcons as an organization is their defense and or their lack there of defense. And it's something that as an organization, Atlanta, if if they want to do anything in the in the NFC there in the South, they have to figure out how to play defense. If they don't, it's going to be many, many long seasons and many, many pissed off Falcons fans. And I think that Will Anderson Jr. is going to be that turning point to get them into a better page defensively, and then they can build off the edge and work their way around. Yeah, you know, you know Chris, that's not so bad. I didn't get angry. I didn't get upset. <laughs> you know what we call that, folks? We call that progress. 
Or Xanax, I mean, whichever. <laughs> yeah, what did it, time will tell, folks. America, you be the judge. You know, to me, what I will say is that I think they do go defense. But what I will say is, is that, and I'm going to address this before I go into the pick, is that I don't want to hear this narrative about Atlanta needing a quarterback. It, it's Desmond Ritter's team. And, and I can make the case, Chris, like some other Falcon fans may agree with me who are listening. If Desmond Ritter starts maybe six games, there's a chance we get squeezed in. Because, listen, the NFC South was awful last year. If you don't believe me, you can look it up. So Yeah, it was pretty terrible. And Marcus Mariota cost us some games, and fans were kind of calling for, man, let's put Ritter in, let's put Ritter in. But Arthur Smith wanted to stick with Mariota for whatever reason. But nonetheless, I think a full season with Desmond Ritter, a healthy Kyle Pitts, a Drake London, and we signed Matt Collins, who could be a guy if you don't if you don't make him the focal point of the offense, which thank goodness he's not. And then even trading for John New Smith is great because that will allow Pitts to kind of play kind of like a slot guy. Because listen, a lot of Gator talk. But if you go back and watch his, if you go back and watch him. You go back and watch him at Florida, like he was kind of used as a kind of a low-key receiver. He was a slot guy. So so why not? So why not have optimism in that front? So many ran over. Back to this pick. I did a mock draft for fan side up with blocking dirty for our right act. So this pick is coming from that thing. People say it's lazy. People say, well, my mind hasn't changed. I think they go edge. They go Lucas Van Ness out of Iowa. Mm. I think they go defense. If people are not people aren't talking about Lucas Van Ness, but I think they go defense here. And I think Will Anderson would be the pick if Will Anderson falls. I think Atlanta will get whether it's Jalen Carter, whether it's Will Anderson. If, if somebody were to fall, they grab one of those two. But if not, I think they explore corner. But like I alluded to earlier, they went and they traded for Jeff Okuda to kind of pair with A.J. Terrell to kind of have that duo there, that one-two combo on the edges, you know, on the on the, on, on the sidelines there. So I think they go in the edge. And to your point, Chris, like we can't get to the quarterback. Like I'm speaking as a fan. We, we couldn't get to the quarterback. And this has not been a last year. It's just been an issue for the last couple of seasons where we've kind of been in the bottom five, bottom 10 of sacks. And at some point, it has to be addressed. And I think a guy like Van Ness, you know, he he, he may be no Will Anderson. He may not be a Jalen Carter, but he's a guy who has that upside and to kind of be the player that we need him to be to get to where we're going. Because remember, we, we were seven and 10. Like we weren't cheeks, like we were semi-cheeks, but we weren't fully cheeks. There are moments where, you know, I got to, you know, we lost some close games and we could, but that's neither here nor there. Getting a Lucas Van Ness type, getting an edge player here, going defense is the only solution for the Atlanta Falcons. Don't get, don't go offense unless, if you go offense, go offensive line, but even that, it's not a top tier need. That being said, winding down our top 10, we're going to number nine. We're going to the Windy City. Oh, by the way, go Cubs, by the way. Glad I had to throw that in because, hey, we're doing great. 
If you're listening, Chicago, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Gainsby Swanson, if you're listening, I'm proud of you. Patrick Wisdom, I'm proud of you. The umpires, some of you I'm not so proud of. But here we are, Chicago, number nine. I have been going offensive line. Peter Skronsky out of Northwestern. Because, Chris, you got to protect your quarterback, period. You got Jalen Hurts. Excuse me, not Jalen Hurts. You got Justin Fields. Jalen Hurts on the brain. You got Justin Fields. You have a franchise quarterback. I can make the case that Jalen Hurts is probably the best quarterback that has, has this upside to be something special, something this franchise hasn't had. People could say, oh, Jay Cutler, do they have to trade for Jay Cutler? Chicago has historically never been great at getting drafting quarterbacks. So you have to put – so what did they do this offseason? They traded – they got D.J. Moore. Like, think about this, Chris. They have D.J. Moore to go with Chase Claypool, and then they got a very, very good guy in Cole Komet. To me, the bigger problem is – you got to protect Justin Fields or he's going to look like Russell Wilson 2.0 and not in the way that you think it means is that he's going to be scrambling and that field in Chicago gets mighty, mighty slippery as we saw last season. So why not get a guy in Skaronsky who, when you're in the big 10, listen, we know it's a running kind of thing, but listen, Skaronsky is a guy who can step in and easily be a starter. Prefer, I, like, I would like him on the left side. Prefer, but I like him as a left tackle. So, so, that's my pick because I think you have to think about the future because you got your receiver. You went out. You got, I think the biggest part, you got a receiver. So go get an offensive line in a, in a draft where it's somewhat deep at that position, but not deep enough for you to, to risk misking out on a guy like Skronsky at number nine. So, Chris, who do you have the, the Bears taking here at number nine? The Bears. Uh, so number nine with Chicago. Uh, so I have them going to the other side of the ball on defense. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I get what you're saying that they do need to protect Justin Fields, uh, but the other thing that they have to protect, and I think they need to do a better job at protecting, is protecting the other team from getting into the end zone. And that is something that they have lacked. And I think that's where Devin Witherspoon could come in, into play from Illinois. And I think that with, with Witherspoon coming <clears throat> is that they need fast pass coverage. Um, he played well in Illinois. So, number one, he's going to be used to the weather and the snow and the cold and all of those things that playing in Chicago uh, bring. I think that with him going into an organization that he has to be able to uh, make some stops, and I think he will. Um, and let's face it, the division that the Bears play in isn't the easiest, uh, you know. Um, I mean, now you have Jordan Love uh, at the helm of, of Green Bay, so at least he got Aaron Rodgers out of the way. But they still have arguably one of your favorite quarterbacks with Kirk Cousins still up there and the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, well, yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we exchange cards every uh, Christmas cards now. Hey, hey, you, you know what, man? I mean, I proved that Kirk Cousins can win you some stuff. I mean, I, I, I think I got him on a fantasy team, and I think I am the 
undisputed champion, I think is is the term right now. Yeah, yeah. We, different terminology, different vernacular. But hey, <laughs> apples, avocados. You're... They both start with A. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that, yeah, I think Chicago stays on the defensive side, and I think they, they upgrade their positions at defense. I, I think right now, I think that – Chicago, they're in. They're not in as bad of a position as the Houston Texans are, because they actually do have some playmakers on offense. But I think that they need to beef up their defense more to make their offense effective. Um, I mean, if you look at a few years ago, the Jets organization had a, a slippery slope on defense, and then on offense offense or you know they had a good offense they had brandon marshall they had brian fitzpatrick they had you know they had all these players but they really couldn't put it together and it's i mean and it's the same situation in chicago now they have dj moore and they have justin fields and uh, they're just their defense lacks and i think that's where uh witherspoon comes in and, and at least starts addressing the problem yeah uh, once again to your point I think for Chicago, I think this draft is all about two things. And I think you – and I think we kind of cover both those points. It's looking at Justin Fields, protecting him, and trying to get the defense a little bit better. And so I think you can't go wrong there with, with Witherspoon there at number nine. Now here we are, number 10, the Philadelphia Eagles. And and once again, I think, Chris, we, we – we, this – I think – We've we've done something very special here because I have the Eagles taking Devin Witherspoon at number 10. And I think we've picked the same 10 players, just different teams. So what well, I so I, I, I'm not saying that we're like you know like Will Farrell, John C. Riley, and Step Brothers. I'm I don't want to go that far. You want to but, do karate in the garage? Yeah, I, I want you to touch my drum set. That's all. I <laughs> Did you put your? Well, we can't say that on the air. But if you want, you know the movie, you know the line. But I have Devin Witherspoon here for for Philly because Chris, when you look at Philly, there's not a lot of pressing needs on offense. They got a quarterback. They got two great receivers. I could argue two great top fifteen receivers, top 15, 20 receivers. They got you know yeah you could go you could look at tight end but it's not as big as a pressing need and there's no need to reach for a tight end here in the top ten. Offensive line arguably the best offensive line in football. So you go defense and you look at their offseason, you know they 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 lost Chauncey Gardner Chauncey Gardner to Detroit, so they lost pieces defensively. So go get the best go get the second best corner draft in Devin Witherspoon because I kind of feel if you can address that, I mean there there's nothing out of the realm of possibility, Chris. That why not? Why can't the Eagles not make it back to the Super Bowl? It's the NFC. It's it used to be the clue of the Eastern Conference in the NBA. Where it's like there was like four or five good teams and everybody else was kind of like, hey, well, I think we're getting to that point where the Eagles are that good where they don't have as many pressing needs. They're kind of like in the same boat as the 49ers. Like, like their question marks is what are they going to do with Trey Lance? Like they're going to, they're going to ride with Brock Purdy when he's healthy. Like, like you can't go like, Oh, well they're, they're struggling at this position. 
And I think the Eagles, if they go out and get Devin Witherspoon, get him on defense, and if he becomes a guy that can play at that kind of level, that he doesn't have to be a Pro Bowl type player, Chris. If he can be an above average this year corner and potential to be a great corner, because drafting corners in the first round, especially in the top 10, top 15, can be tricky. But if you get the right one, you could have a guy that could be good for the next decade. And I think Devin Witherspoon could be that guy to kind of fill that need that Howie Roseman needs at number 10 for Philly, who who's in the position, once again, two first-round picks. Because, so, go get the best defensive player on the board and figure out later in the draft. But, Chris, who do you have the defending NFC champions taking at number 10? So, I think this is the only player that I picked that you didn't. And I think this is a 12-6 curveball coming out right now. So you're right. Philly could address some needs on on defense. I think they do the exact opposite. I think they go to the offensive side of the ball, and I think they scoop up B. John Robinson out of Texas. So here's why. So Philly traded Miles Sanders down to Carolina mm-hmm. and, uh, and freed up some cap space. Now they need an RB1. And I think that with the hype of Bijan Robinson coming out, I think that this is an opportunity that uh, that doesn't come around knocking often to be able to get a running back out of the top five, a great running back out of the top five. The junior out of Texas, I think, played well. And I think that he uh, I think he could do some some, some damage. I think he's got a good set of hands on him, and I think he's going to be able to fit into this fast-moving offense that Philly runs with Jalen Hurts and Devonta Smith. And I think that um, he he has the explosive cuts, and he also has straight line speed. And I think that he, in the grand scheme of things, is an easy upside. I think this is like Brees Hall year going to the Jets that there is nothing but good things that are going to happen from this because you know the problem is is with the Eagles so my, let's just say they don't do this okay so now the Eagles have uh, uh, no Miles Sanders so they're going to have to figure out that offense uh, strategy right there so let's just say they go pick up some some scrubby running back at the end of the day they know that that ball is going to be passing the air you can put yourself in zone coverage or like a press, a deep press man, and you're going to be able to fight for the ball up there. Now you have a Bijan Robinson that can run, that can catch, that's agile, that's got good footwork. It can neither be a halfback toss; he could run it up through the A or B gap. Uh, he could get those outside hitch routes, and and he could get the ball thrown to him. Those little uh, bubble screen passes. There are so many opportunities with this, and and I think Philly is going to capitalize on this. Because at the end of the day, we have to remember they play in the NFC East. And there was a freak occurrence last year where all four teams were plus 500. And I don't think that 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 will happen again. Uh, That was a solar eclipse. That was a lunar eclipse. That was a uh, hitting the lottery. 
that was something I don't think we're going to see very often um, because it, it it's just that division is not that good at the end of the day. So I think that they will go after defense in later in the draft, or maybe they'll make some post-draft trades or maybe get some free agency pickups, or maybe even during the season, make a couple, uh, uh, you know, mid-season trades. I mean, let's face it. The, the Eagles are not afraid to make midseason trades. I think they proved that with their stud of a tight end, uh, Zach Ertz, trading him to uh, Arizona. So I think with this, I think with Robinson going to Philly, I think that he is going to add another level of explosive action on the defensive side of the ball, or excuse me, on the offensive side. Philly will recover on the defense, and I think with this, this is going to make the the Eagles dangerous. You know, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I I tossed around the idea of Bijan because, like I say, like for those who don't know, I've mentioned it uh, in pockets during the show. I'm a sports writer, and we we I, I I cover and talk about Bijan, and Chris, let me tell you, the more I watch. The more you go back and watch his stuff at Texas, it's going to blow your mind. Like you go YouTube and Google Bijan Robinson highlights, enjoy yourself. Bijan Robinson is a player in this draft. And before we get out of here to talk about kind of like down the road stuff, I think Bijan does, I think he's going to go in the first round. I think I, I have no doubt to my mind. Obviously, you have him going in the first round to Philly. Philly fits because Philly doesn't have needs that are pressing. Like their running back position, they they do love to run the football. So that makes a whole lot of sense if you look at how they play. Especially you don't want to burn out a guy like Jalen Hurts, a guy you just made the highest player, pay player in NFL history. So I that makes a lot of sense. But I, I look at other teams. I look at like a wild card team, like the Patriots could be a team that like, like a Bill Belichick type of guy. If you look at like Bill Belichick had like Corey Dillon on the back end, but imagine having Corey Dillon, Chris on the front end and be John Robin. Like if you get like, and that it changes the scope of that Patriots offense. And it kind of takes a little bit of pressure off of Mac Jones who feels under pressure this year to get things done. And you kind of look down the board, he could go to a lot of places. Like, like it, it just depends on could teams move up in the draft just to get Bijan Robinson. And to your point, Chris, you're you're getting a guy like he 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 he's a he's a game changer. I think you and I can agree on that. He's a game changer. And sometimes when we talk about running backs going high in the draft, like for every Adrian Peterson, like who you know who fell in the draft because of injury, Hall of Fame, like kind of he was on the path of a Hall of Fame career, and then do you have Zeke Elliott who wasn't terrible, but penultimately went fourth overall? I don't think you're going to see a running back going fourth overall for a while, because it's because of the way the game is is, is being played. Bijan's value will be kind of like where you have him. I don't think he's going to fall past 20 because some team may trade up and get him. It's just, just one man's opinion here. And, and before we get out of here, 
I do want to ask a couple of questions because that's that's what I do. Is Chris, when you look at this draft, every team needs a good draft. Every team needs a good draft. But is there one or two teams who are under pressure this season to have a very, very good draft for the sake of their future? Um, yeah, I think number one, uh, I think a couple of them. I think Houston and I think Indianapolis uh, and and also, I think Green Bay, now that they've inherited multiple draft picks out of the Jets, I think that they're going to have to prove. So two things are going to happen. So Green Bay is going to prove Aaron Rodgers right and that they, they're a mismanaged organization and that they're just a dumpster fire. Or Green Bay will prove Aaron Rodgers wrong and say, no, you were the problem. You were just old and we needed fresh paint and, you know, look at us now. So I think with having those uh, three uh, draft picks that we inherited uh, this season or that, that Green Bay got from us this season, I think those are important. And I think the rebuilding process of the Houston Texans and uh, and the Colts are um, are going to be up for grabs. And I also think the Falcons, too. You know, the, the Falcons are an organization with deep pockets. You know, the dudes that own the Falcons are the, the creators of Home Depot, the second largest retailer in the world, essentially. Um, I, I think that they need to start. I think that Atlanta has mismanaged so many draft picks and so many things in in recent times they went from a Super Bowl contender to just triple cheeks, quadruple cheeks, pentagonal cheeks. Uh, you know, and, and you really can't argue. They had so much potential, but they just, they, they refused. It's like, okay, we need a defensive lineman. I'm going to choose a kicker. It's like, we need an offensive tackle. I'm going to choose a kicker. You know, they just choose like the the exact opposite of what they need, and I think that has really paid the price. They they had Matty Ice beat the hell. They they drafted Kyle Pitts, and the dude's a stud. But how much of a stud can you be if your quarterback is getting blitzed by the time the ball's in his hand and he can't throw it to you? So th- those are the three teams for and four teams that I think really need to make the most of this draft. And if not, I think there's there's going to be some consequences going into the uh, next season. Well, I think to your point, I'll, I'll start with Atlanta. I'll start I'll start there. I think, Chris, I, I to your point, I think the issues with the Falcons, it's just the fact that the way that we've drafted, it's I think we draft the right position, just the wrong player. And I can go back into the example where we drafted, I think it was either Tack McKinley or it was Dwayne, but I can't remember when. But TJ Watt was taken like three or four picks after that. And you look back and like, well, how could you have known? No, if you can. Like, dude, you knew. Like, I tell people, it's like, oh, well, you have no. Like, you you can. can, we, We all watch film. All right. 
Like, it's not like, a, oh, we had no idea Tom Brady was going to be the GOAT. No, nobody knew that. Nobody knew that. That's 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 a whole different situation. It's just that when I look at this Falcons organization, Terry Fontenot has to get it right with this draft. He has to clean up the last, the previous administration's mess because they couldn't do this. I think this was the one season where we had a good salary cap and we brought in some good guys like Jesse Bates. We went and got Kalias Campbell, a veteran guy. We got Bud Dupree. We went out and spent money on necessity and not want. And it's two different things. What you need is not necessarily what you want and what you want necessarily what you need. And Atlanta was suffering from the fact of things that they wanted, but we clearly didn't need. So I think I definitely put them in that conversation. Another team I put in the conversation, I stay in the division, and I go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I go, how are they going to handle life without Tom Brady? Because, Chris, I was told that Kyle Trask was supposed to be the heir to this team. That's what I was told. Yeah. And And then you go out and you sign Baker Mayfield, and then you tell people, oh, it's a quarterback competition. Is it really? Is it, you know, because here's the reality. If we're having a legitimate quarterback competition, if Kyle Trans beats out Baker, then a lot of folks in Tampa are going to lose their jobs. Because the reality is, is that Kyle Trask, I never have felt, has gotten a fair shake because, listen, he learned under the GOAT. And... He never got it. He's he deserves a full opportunity to be the quarterback. So what you do in this draft, Chris, if they go quarterback, it better be the right quarterback if they trade up and get one. Because if you get it wrong, Chris, you know I think we said this. I think one of the last time before we went on hiatus, we both love Todd Bowles, but at some point, Chris, we you know we have to lay the blame somewhere. And, and it kind of feels as though if you can't get, if you no one no one's saying oh Tampa has to make the playoffs no no one's expecting Tampa to make the playoffs because they're kind of in a mini rebuild mode. But this draft will tell you the direction of where they're going to go. Do they take a quarterback? Because Chris, I'm telling you right now, if they go quarterback in the first two rounds, then that's letting me know that they don't think highly of not only forget Baker, Chris. They don't think highly of Kyle yeah, Trask. Kyle Trask, yeah. Like because you got you you drafted this guy in the second round a couple seasons ago, and he should be the you know I'm not saying well because like I tell people the the difference between having a, a privilege and a right. I'm not saying well Kyle Trask has the right to be the Buccaneers quarterback. What I'm saying is that he has the right to compete for that job. And how can we fully say that he can compete for the job if you go out and get Baker Mayfield? Who and you're not going to bench Baker Mayfield. You, you you're simply not going to do it. And I yeah. and, if, and, and if it's a quarterback competition, I'm all for it, Chris. But I just feel in the recesses of my mind that 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 organization is not giving Kyle Trask a fair shake. And that's coming from a guy who's a fan of the of a rifle on the Buccaneer. That's telling you, if you go out, I hope Baker is successful. But that does not take away my point that if you go out and get another quarterback in this draft, then Chris, you have no that the once again they have no idea what they're doing. And and to tie back to your point, another team that you mentioned, the Green Bay Packers, that situation could turn out the same way that we all thought that 
when Seattle traded away Russell Wilson. And a lot of us said, oh, Seattle is going to be terrible. And then and then all of a sudden, Geno Smith, nobody expected Geno Smith to play like how he did last season. And in essence, don't the, the biggest winner in all of that, Chris, you know who the biggest winner was? It was Pete Carroll. Yeah. It was Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll like, took the gamble. Like Pete Carroll said, you know, he didn't go out and sit and blame Russ. Like he said, well, there were some things with Russ that, you know, he wasn't saying Russ was cheeks. He was just saying maybe we can't go any further without him. And I and he's basically said he he would have rather roll with Geno Smith or Drew Locke, whoever won the job, and hope for the best. And that best led them to the playoffs. That's a situation where and, and you and you hit it you hit it right on the head, Chris, where this could be a situation where Aaron Rodgers told us so, or Aaron Rodgers has egg on his face. Because if if he because if the Green Bay Packers fall flat on their face, then everything that he kind of you know, you know, subliminally said was true. That, oh, he didn't subliminally say it. I mean, he made well, that shit point and clear. <laughs> well, well, here's why I say subliminally. He, the words that he used, he could have used worse words. That's why I'm saying subliminal, because he could have used worse words than what he said. He didn't come out and say that everybody in there was cheeks. Well, he could have. He understood that there was talent in the building, but he understood that the top part was not great. And he knew Brian Guckenhurst was, was not great. That's how he felt. But in reality, if he has a point, you paid the guy you know, 60 million bucks, and now it's another, yeah, okay, good. But if you have to get it right, because more importantly, Chris, if Jordan Love better be something this upcoming season, that's all there is to it. I'm not saying he has to win MVP or be an all-pro, but the reality, Chris, is that he has to be something. And the Green Bay Packers cannot finish last in this division. No. Because, you, because if they do, we got to start looking at Matt LaFleur. Like, oh, Matt LaFleur, he's, he's a great coach. Well, he, here's the thing. And I'll say, I didn't mean to take up all the time here, but to go on my rant. But it's like when people come out and talk about certain great coaches and talk about, well, like, like, like Phil Jackson, like Phil Jackson said some things recently that I didn't agree with. But when I talk about Phil Jackson, the coach, Phil Jackson, like, oh, well, anybody can be great with, with MJ. Yeah. Not everybody can, because you know who else? I think Phil Jackson was like the second, the third coach that MJ had in Chicago before you got to Phil. So let, let, let's let's ruin that logic. I remember, yeah. So um, Doug Collins coached Michael Jordan. If you know who Doug Collins is, then that means you're either pretty old or you know or you're a basketball, you're a sports nerd like me. That's who coached Michael Jordan when he was in Chicago, and then coached him when he went to Washington. So the point is, Chris, and I, and I'll turn it to you and wrap it up. At the end of the day, when we look at trades and we look at certain things. In, in terms of this, in terms of this year's draft, Green Bay is high on that list, even over the Falcons, because you traded a Hall of Fame quarterback, and you are banking your franchise on a guy, in Jordan Love, who really has not played 
snaps. He started a game. You know, he hasn't. So you're banking on a young quarterback to bank on an even younger receiving core. And Matt LaFleur has to, if he's the type of coach that we saw the first couple of seasons, Chris, it shouldn't be a problem. But the reality is Aaron Rodgers was trying to tell it. And to your point, yeah, he said some things outwardly harsh, but my thing is that he could have went, he could have went way worse than that. It's like when you watch like certain shows, you're like, when people talk about one another, like, like people are like, oh, that's the worst thing they can say. No, it's not. Sometimes people have to restrain themselves for the sake of public decency. And Aaron Rodgers said some tough things about the Packers organization. And it's something I agree with them on is that you can't get free agents there to Green Bay. So what you need to draft. And they, Chris, they whiffed on getting a first round receiver many times. He's saying, I need I need weapons out here. Nothing happened. So now we'll get to see if Aaron Rodgers thrives in New York or whether Green Bay they could both be successful. It depends how you define success. I'll leave I'll I'll leave my three and a half cents there. <laughs> no, but, I mean you definitely hit it uh hit it on the head there. I mean the only other thing I wanted to give like a 30 second slot to that we don't talk a lot about is uh is hockey and you know, this playoff run, the chase for the Stanley Cup, man, good Lord. There there have been some good games, uh, uh, you know, the, the past few nights. I, um, you know, both my New York teams, the Rangers and the Islanders are doing well. Um, you know, the, the Rangers are playing right across the bridge uh, with the with the New Jersey Devils in Newark. Um, you know, two Florida teams, the Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning are in are in the playoffs. Who would have thought that the, you know, Florida teams would succeed at hockey? And, uh, you know, the one team I do want to have a very quick conversation about is the Carolina Cyclones and just how dirty they, they play. Uh, I mean, you want to talk about some dirty hockey? Oof. Dude, uh, go go check uh, the game a couple nights ago versus uh, the Islanders, or excuse me, the Carolina Hurricanes. I don't know why I call them the Cyclones. Um, number one, it was actually pretty fun to watch. Is that the the Islanders ended up scoring like four goals in like two minutes, and uh, they uh, it was the fastest scoring goals in NHL postseason history by by the islanders and it started off with a dirty hit well it started off with icing that turned off into a dirty hit and then the islanders just went full tilt scoring you know four goals in like two minutes and then to make matters worse then it just erupts in a big fight towards the end of the game um and then also uh if, if you rewind back uh uh i think two or three nights ago the the toronto maple leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning got into a hell of a uh, fight right there in the middle of the ice. And, and uh, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, that's my favorite part of hockey. I'm not even yeah, going to about it. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, it's just uh, – it, it's definitely some fun playoff hockey, and, and I know that we don't show the NHL a lot of love. Um, so I do appreciate that. And, you know, also the other thing with that I appreciate with the NHL is they're just letting it be a sport. They're not getting all the politics and the wokeism and and all of this. It's what Phil Jackson uh, said, you know, what, what you talked about. And, you know, to a point, I agree with Phil Jackson. I watch sports for 
sports. I watch football for football. I watch basketball. I really don't watch basketball. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you people. Um, you know, I, uh, I watch baseball for baseball. I don't, those two hours of my life, I want politic free. That's And for all of you that know me on a personal level, you already know I'm a very political person. Uh, and, and I don't hide my, uh, my thoughts on hot topics and in, in politics. And I'm a very firm believer that the reason why I think this country is in such a state of disarray and decay that it is in this very moment is because it was like this shunned, like, oh, we can't talk about this. And, and I think for people not talking about it is what created the extremism on both sides of our, our political theater. And I think that that's why we're in the situation we're in is people were taught not to talk about it. And then when you did, it turned into World War Three. And then next thing you know, we have an 80 plus year old man who probably shits his pants, can barely eat ice cream and shakes hands with invisible ghosts. Um, and then we also have senators and governors and house reps that are serving when they probably didn't have electricity in their house in the 1850s. But that's another argument for another day. But yeah, so I agree on that. And then shout out to the NHL for just leaving all of that out and say that we are the NHL and we have 250 pound men that are missing teeth that are skating at 20 plus miles an hour that get into fist fights on a regular basis. The end. I like that. And that's why I want it to stay. So hats off to them. Uh, go Rangers and go Islanders and, you know, of course, go Yankees. Um, you know, and that's another real quick thing I'll touch on. So, of course, a new sensation um, on the Yankees is Anthony Velope, the shortstop. And, you know, just the christening of him kind of being, you know, like the next, like, could, could he be the next Derek Jeter? The one thing that I really liked, I was reading an article in, in the Times and the Post. Um, so this way you can't say, oh, it's a biased article or newspaper or whatever. I was reading it both. They both posted the same article with Velope. Um, he wanted to get new clothes, you know, like suits and things like that for the away game. So he looks professional. He looks like a Yankee. And he goes to the store. So Aaron, Aaron Judge sent him to, like, hey, you know, go see my guy. Because everybody in New York has a guy, you know. Uh, just ask Ladarius. He knows I got a guy. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> so Aaron Judge sends uh, Velope to, you know, the tailor to get him some suits. He shows up, get, chooses them out. They're already paid for Aaron, Aaron Judge signed the check, swiped the card, however we want to call it, to make sure that his teammate was was fashionably dressed at his expense. And I think as a, a team captain, as a captain of the Yankees, that's a Derek Jeter move right there. That is a gentleman move to, to embrace the rookie, to bring him into the organization. And I we, we always talk about the sports aspect of it and not the humane side of, of these athletes with the charitable work they do. And again, this circles back to politics and things like that. Whatever you do off the field, that's cool. But I, I watch it for the on-field game. But it's also nice to see these guys embracing the rookies because we've heard so many stories of, of uh, professional athletes. I don't want to use the term abusing the rookies, but taking them out to dinner and making the rookie pay a $600,000 dinner bill you know, I know that's an overinflated number, but to make these rookies pay this exuberant dinner bill where they're popping bottles of, of overpriced liquor and overpriced steaks and then making this rookie pay for it when the wide receiver or the linebacker could 
hit the bonus that he earned for showing up for practice today. Could have paid that dinner 10 times over. So it was just nice seeing Aaron Judge help out the rookies like that. And it's just a, just a nice gentlemanly show of camaraderie. Uh, outside of that, that's all I have because I can keep going on tangents all night. And because I'm legally required, I cannot end the show on a Yankees note. So what I will say is that since you talk about the Yankees, I want to talk about the Cubs. And how much, like I said, I, I, I kind of sprinkled it in earlier. I'm impressed with the pitching. I felt last season the pitching was awful. You know, James Italian get better. My guy, former Yankee, James Italian. So if I have that in my notes correctly. and Do I, work. Do so, work. He can so, do it. So, and then you throw in the fact Marcus Stroman, you got Drew Smiley. I mean, you know, I'm not saying Cubs World Series, but I just want to say I've been very impressed with what I've seen. It's early, it's early times, but but at some point throughout this time, we're going to talk more about base, baseball, hockey. He, Chris would, I'll put it this way: Chris will do the hockey, and I'll do the basketball. I think, <laughs> I, I, I think in it, when we look at things from a political, when we look at you know trying to find you know a uh, sense of agreement. I think so. If one of us naps, when the other is napping, it's not being rude. It's just that. We listen, but we just had nothing to respond to. Notice, notice with the hockey, I didn't say a word. Think about that. I watch hockey. I know hockey exists. I was a Lightning fan at one point, like Martin St. Louis, Vincent McCallier. Yeah, I was a hockey fan. People, you look at me like, oh, that guy's not a hockey fan, and you'd lose 50 bucks. So there we go. But before we go, listen, like listen and subscribe to this episode and every episode of the sports and the world podcast apple spotify and wherever you get your podcast including iHeartRadio. and then we'll be back with you post draft to see how we did and let us know how you think we did on our facebook page sports in the world on facebook and through our social media as well until you hear us again next time i'm ladarius and i'm chris be real, be, be blessed, and be safe. All of you from the Sports and the World Podcast. See you.